Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. Ready to go, Doc? Oh, yes, yes, my dear fellow. I'll just check the gyroscopes. Hello, and welcome back to the Appendix N Book Club. This is episode 139, where we're going to be discussing Jack Vance's Kugel's Saga. And argue with me about the pronunciation with it. I dare you. (laughs) (laughs) Joining me today is that fox-faced vagabond, Hoy. Indeed. Uh, I have a mere five turkeys left in my pouch. (laughs) And we are also joined today by the co-host of Between Two Cairns and the game designer behind Wyvern Songs, Hideous Daylight, Temple of a Thousand Swords, and others, Brad Kerr. Hey, Brad. Hi. Hi, Brad. Hi. Nice to be here. So much yeah. to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's get all cliche RPG podcasts and ask you how you got into gaming. But I'd also like to know what your history is with speculative fiction. Yeah. So, um... I guess starting with speculative fiction, yeah. So I, I mostly picked it up from my dad. Um, my dad, he was he's a Presbyterian minister. He's retired now, but he was also um, like a teen in the you know late '60s, early '70s. So he was kind of like one of those um, slightly crusty, like Jesusy kind of hippies. So he had like a lot of Tolkien and Madeline Langle and C.S. Lewis in his bookshelf when I was a kid, um, and you know, very interested in those book covers, especially like the, uh, the Madeline Langle covers had some really freaky, like angel <laughs> things on them mm-hmm. that terrified me as a child. So that was definitely, um, my, my doorway. Um, I remember when I was, Oh, maybe in third or fourth grade, I was reading a Narnia book and, uh, I asked my dad, I was like, I'm like, dad, like centaurs like aren't real, right? Like they've never been real. That's like a made up thing. Right. And he was, and he kind of paused and, very thoughtfully, he said, well, they're not real in this world. And I'm like, <laughs> that's it, man. You've ruined you me. Go. I'm going to be a huge dork forever now. Like, you've ruined any chance I had of <laughs> playing sports in high school or, you know, that was it. I think that was like the advent of my hopeless dorkdom. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've always uh, loved fantasy. Not always really like a fan of Fantasy or speculative fiction, though, I guess, weirdly. Um, I think I'm just living in RPG world so much that it's like, I don't need to read it. I lived it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, I don't know. I think also, like, speculative fiction, it's it's often very, like, plot-heavy. And I feel uh-huh. like plot is kind of, like, my least favorite part of, of books, weirdly. Like, I don't need... You know, people are always, like, killing each other's fathers and, you know, like, doing things. I'm, I'm like... Just give me some of that, like, Murakami, like, spaghetti cooking scenes, man. Like, that's what I want to read. Anyway, um, I'm getting off on a (laughs) walk. But, yeah, I got into RPGs in high school. Like, third edition D&D was just coming out when I was in high school. So that was really how I learned how to play D&D and just never never hit the brakes, man. Just went hard with D&D 3E. Played a lot of 4E, played a lot of 5E, and just kind of went off and explored a lot of other um, indie games since then. And now um, really into the kind of OSR s- style stick gaming. That's where I am now. Nice. And how did it get to you co-hosting a podcast about Cairn and putting <laughs> out putting out adventure modules for old school essentials? 
Yeah, I mean, putting out modules, I was just buying a ton of modules. And I don't know, I just had a revelation one day. I was like, I can do this. This isn't. <laughs> this might not be as hard as I'm assuming it is. Kind of taught myself desktop publishing a little bit and just went for it. And I'm glad I did. It's been really rewarding and really fun. Um, because of that, um, my friend Yochai Gal, he uh, was a fan of Hideous Daylight. He picked that up and enjoyed that. And he actually worked on some VTT files for Foundry for that. And that kind of got us to just chat on Twitter and then Discord. So we just became online friends. And um, Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. I was following everything you were saying until you said VTT files for <laughs> Foundry. I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. So um, he... Right. I wasn't really following it either when he was doing that. <laughs> uh, he took maps from my module Hideous Daylight and turned them into um, just digital images and JSON files that you can plug into an online tabletop program called Foundry. And okay. So if you're playing it online, you can just kind of plug this thing in and run the module on a virtual tabletop online you know, with remote friends or other gamers or, or what have you. Um, uh, VTT virtual tabletop. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sorry, yes, yes. Um, I'm using the abbreviations. No, uh, I feel like that's something I probably should know. <laughs> no, all good. Um, so yeah, I, I, in my memory, he kind of buffaloed me into starting a podcast. He's like, "We got to do this." I, I'm not really a podcast person, and I was kind of like begrudgingly said yes. He remembers differently that it was my idea. I don't see how that's possible, but anyway, <laughs> uh, here we are. Um, and it's, it's been a good time. We're, we're having fun with it and yeah, talking games, you know, what, what can yeah. be bad about that? So yeah. like Google, neither of you are, are willing to take, take blame. blame. For... <laughs> yeah, no, not, not my fault. I'm totally innocent. Yeah. <laughs> it's that other guy. Yeah. yeah exactly. the, one, the one who went behind the tavern. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Brad, do you have any recommendations for things people can check out for their gaming inspiration? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, great question. So, yeah, I guess the last book I read is, I guess I guess you could draw some RPG inspiration for it. It's kind of a weird slice of Pacific Northwest magical realism. That's why I live in Portland, Oregon. So it really uh, spoke to me. It's this book called Passers Through by Peter Rock. Um, just really kind of dreamy kind of novel about, oh, I don't know, this old man who has like a strained relationship with his daughter, but it gets in this really weird kind <laughs> of dreamy territory. It's like if a blindfolded child walks through the woods, they end up at this pond called called Sad Clown Lake, and you see like the bones of dead people in the lake, and it might be like this passing th point into like the world beyond it's very uh very mysterious but i uh i really enjoyed it i think i like that kind of fantasy bleeding through the edges of a realistic setting um so that that was a, a nice way to spend some time i recommend that one um another book i picked up recently that i really like i, I i'm a comic book fan um and i picked up a comic recently i really liked this is a little unfair because I can't really find where to buy this anywhere. I got it at Floating World <laughs> Comics in Portland, Oregon. So uh, go there. Um, but it's it's a book called Sobek by James Stokoe. Uh, one of my favorite artists and comic creators, James Stokoe. Just stunning art. Um, this book is about a... Um, it's like an Egyptian crocodile god. Um, 
but I really like it. It's It feels like this very heavy, weighty story where like priests come and beseech this God for help. Um, but like at its core, it's kind of a gag. Like the crocodile God himself is very chill and all the humans are like, we beseech these so back. And he's like, oh, hey guys, what's up? Sure, I'll help you out. No problem. I don't know. It just like had a really funny balance between super silliness and like heavy weighty like Egyptian God stuff. So I, I loved uh, it. Um, wasn't there the uh, Sobek priest in the P. Jelly Clark book that we read, uh, Jeff? This, oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. Good yeah. connection. Yeah. But that was a great one. James Stokoe has a great orc comic too called Orc Stain. It's been a while since I read that one, but um, yeah, just awesome stuff that, that this guy puts out. So highly recommended. Cool. Very cool. So we can go ahead and chat about which editions of the book we are working with. Uh, what are you working with today, Brad? Um, I have the not cool at all e uh, you know e reader version. This is the first ebook edition put out in May 2012. Uh, it actually has a different name: Kugel the Skybreak Spatterlight, previously titled Kugel Saga. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> Very cool. And my understanding is there that that's the preferred text. I don't really know how much is different though. Hoy, do you know? I think it's more like a few words and, mm. and definitely he preferred the title, but um, a lot of his preferred titles are completely unmarketable. So, and then, <laughs> and then there was the, um, what's called the Vance integral edition, which is a bunch of Vance fans and scholars went back and, and corrected a lot of the stuff. So even though the eBooks that are from Tor and orbit may be using those corrected texts in many cases, but then there's a lot of his lesser works are issued under the VIE imprint or lesser known works, I should say. Um, so uh, that's, that's what's going on with that stuff there. Interesting. Gotcha. I wish there was, it's not even cover art though. It's just this white. Right. That's very boring. Like, Come board, on, man. Yeah. Just give me <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah. Oh, well. One of the guys in our patron book club had the physical copy of the book that, of the version you were working with. And it has actually has a really cool cover. I can't believe I didn't get it. The Shame one that I'm working with is the original hardcover Kugel Saga, and um, it's from 1983. It's by Timescape Books, and we've got a cover by Kevin Johnson, Kevin Eugene Johnson, and it's Kugel fighting a very um, <laughs> alien-looking Nisifer on the ship, uh, and he's standing there with his, with his butt sticking out yeah. <laughs> uh, with his fancy outfit. Uh, what do you got, Hoy? Uh, I was reading mostly the ebook of The Complete Dying Earth, but I also have the book club edition of The Complete Dying Earth with a Brom cover. Oh, no, nice. And it also comes with a uh, fold-out poster of that cover. So it's got that appropriate color scheme and sort of that dreamy feel of it's the, the fuller version of the poster back there, um, that Dying Earth feel. So uh, that's what I'm working with today. I, I love his art and it works so well for so many things, but for Kugel, I don't feel like it's quite the right fit because it makes Kugel seem so um, contemplative and meditative. <laughs> right, right. I think it's maybe more appropriate to like the first, the first book, the Tales of Dying yes. Earth, not so much the the Kugel stories, which are more dynamic. Yeah, I would absolutely agree that his artwork would lend itself very well to the first collection. Yeah. Um, I also listened to the Audible audiobook that was narrated by Arthur Mori. I listened to that while also reading along just to enhance my um, my reading comprehension. Right, right. So before we go into the Hygaxian word of the day, a thing that's funny about 
today is Goodman Games, who published who recent who is publishing the Dungeon Crawl Classics Dying Earth box set. Uh, that those PDFs and are now available to the Kickstarter Kickstarter backers, and most people have received their prints by the time that we recorded this, which is two months in the past for those listening. Uh, but also coincidentally, today Goodman Games put out um, an article called "Words Weird and Wonderful in De- Jack Vance's Dying Earth," <laughs> and they break it down by the books. And the three words that the Goodman Games blog highlighted were kickshaw, which is a delicate trinket or a vermifuge, which is medicine or substance having the property of expelling intestinal worms, <laughs> and voyant, which is a clairvoyant. Um, it is a like a crystal gazer or a um, sighted or um, a skilled sighted person. But um, so I thought that was kind of funny that coincidentally that came out today That's as well. That's fantastic. There you go. But Brad, I understand that you also have some words that um, stuck out for you. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to you don't have to read very far in this book to find uh, a word that <laughs> sounds familiar. And um, sometimes too, I wasn't so. Yeah, I'll, I'll confess this is my first Jack Vance book, so I love him coming in on book three on the Dying Earth saga here. But um, yeah, some some words I wasn't sure. What, like, was this explained in a previous book? Is this like, a, you know, is this like a Jack Vance word that I would have learned already? But short um, answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just one randomly that jumped out. Uh, Nuncupatory. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right. Yeah, it was the context was Google wanted to know. Let me show you. Sorry. I don't know. I think it was with the uh, the four fathers the four wizards i believe they're like hey what what happened here and the the they responded the answer is nuncupatory and that was, <laughs> it. was like, okay so i believe it means like oral like like verbally conveyed as in i'm not going to tell you or something like that um, <laughs> exactly it's that verbally was, conveyed rather than written yeah <laughs> i uh anyway that that was my hygaxian word for me today <laughs> And Hoy, what is our official word for the episode right. today? Uh, I had a ton, uh, but I'm going to go with Adam's word. Brumagem. Brumagem, a cheap, showy, or counterfeit. And it occurs in, uh, it actually occurs in Rialto the Marvelous too. But in this case, it's when um, uh, the magician uh, Falselmi spots the spatter light on, um, on the hat, uh, Kugel's hat. And he replies by, it is a bit of Brumagem, which I picked up along the way, said Kugel carelessly, just to <laughs> dismiss it. And, like, you know, nothing to see here. Um, so I thought that was a particularly good word. That's a good one. Yep. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Hoy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> good one. All right. And before we move into the library, we've got our plot synopsis. This time, once again, I'm utilizing ChatGPT. I'm using ChatGPT4. And what I told it to do is I put in the Wikipedia plot description of this book. And I said, please take the following plot synopsis and shorten it to less than 500 words, but use lots of pompous vocabulary. And what it spat out was, in this grandiloquent tale, Kugel is abandoned on Shanglestone Strand, where he fortuitously acquires the pectoral skybreak spatterlight, a scale of the overworld entity Sadlark, coveted by Ukanu, the laughing magician. Escaping from Master Twango, he joins the crew on a worm-propelled ship, the Gallant, kidnapping Soldnik's wife and daughters. 
his captives outwit him, and he finds himself in Tusfold, conniving with Nisbet to swindle villagers by repurposing their status symbol columns. As he continues his journey, Kugel evades the machinations of Falselm, a magician who joins a caravan tower towing a stolen ship, the Aventura. Upon reaching Caspara Vitidis, he escapes his pursuers, traversing the desolate Pale Rugates to Gundar. Employed as a watchman, he guards a caravan of virgins bound for Lumarth. After failing his duty, he must face the demon Fampoun and his homunculus Pulsifer, only to inadvertently cause the city's destruction. Kugel <laughs> continues his escapades, saving Lolo from a Pelgrain and embroiling himself in a dream crystal heist, only for the corrupted crystals to cause chaos at Duke Ormbol's grand exposition. He eventually returns to Almory, where he outwits Ukanu, causing his annihilation by Skybreak's spatterlight. With Sadlark's disintegration, Kugel inherits Ukanu's manse, Pergolo, concluding this extravagant adventure. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. that is our plot synopsis, and now Thank we're going to head on into the library. Yeah. <laughs> it, it reminds me of, uh, I love chat GPT, just the way it squeezed in the fancy words. That's like very unnatural. Um, <laughs> like I, I'm reminded, I was in high school, and my gym class suddenly kind of... Um, I don't know what drove this, but they decided they needed to be more like a class. So we had an essay assigned about like what physical fitness means to us. <laughs> and so I wrote this total baloney essay. And then next year we got the same assignment. They're like, you got to write another essay, same exact assignment. So I took my previous year's assignment and I ran every word through a thesaurus. And, I <laughs> it. and it, it read like that. It was like unreadable garbage with just giant <laughs> words everywhere and I got another like A plus so obviously they weren't reading it at all but um, <laughs> love chat GPT is on my my gym class wavelength there, there you go. hilarious <laughs> amazing <laughs> so Brad this is your first Jack Vance this is your first Dying Earth yeah um, and although it's the third Dying Earth book it really is only the sequel to the second book it doesn't mm -hmm. actually follow any of the, the events from the first book but what was it like for you <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it was terrific. I, I had a great time with it. Um, it was not what I expected at all from what I knew about Jack Vance. I mean, I knew Jack Vance was very influential on Dungeons and Dragons, you know, big, um, big part of the Appendix N. Um, I was expecting swords and skullduggery and action. And it's this grubby little con man who is just like, <laughs> kind of, I mean, there is adventure here, but I feel like a lot of the situations are very like, they're not that weird. You know, he's like conning his way into a job at a mansion. And then he's like conning his way in this like marble carvers, like whatever. But I thought it was, I thought it was terrific. Just the language is so rich. The dialogue is just bonkers. Like who talks like this? Where did this dialogue style come from? I could just <laughs> live in that kind of dialogue forever. Um, you know, definitely a product of its times, <laughs> for sure, uh, especially with, in regards to gender. Uh, a lot of <laughs> yeah. very questionable content with anything resembling a female character. Um, forget about it. But, um, yeah, a really strange and interesting work that I, I really enjoyed spending time with. And I really want to read more Jack Vance now after reading this one. Yeah, there are some very cool female characters in the first book, The Dying Earth. <laughs> yeah. So interestingly, the book written 30 years previously was actually <laughs> better in, this, in the sense of having cool, interesting female characters. 
Um, but yeah, I, 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 I do agree with that. Um, Hoy, this is your first time reading this particular Jack Vance story. What, 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 what was your take on this? Um, I very much enjoyed it. It definitely is, um, although it's packed with incident, it's still more leisurely than, uh, Google uh, the first Google book or the first dying earth book in that sense. Um, yeah. uh, so I think he's, he's letting it breathe a little bit more. Um, so it's a little less, uh, plotty in some ways. Um, and I, you know, Brad is something that, you know, you don't particularly care for, um, <laughs> or, or it's not a high priority. Let me put it that yeah, way. Um, that's fair. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I think Dan made a point, uh, Dan Alexander in the chat, he made a point that he was pleased to see that Jack Vance was still operating at a high level of um, proficiency, which a lot of, uh, you know, the appendix and authors seem to sort of taper off at around 60. And this is, I think Jack Vance was 67 when he wrote this one. Um, it was still full command of his powers. Um, so I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so yeah, I, I greatly enjoyed it. Uh, Kugel, is still a bastard, but he's a little bit less of like a total bastard than he is in the first book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's um, a little less like just straight up evil in right, this one. <laughs> right. And to your point about the women. Yeah. I mean, it, it is dated, and but I was still struck by, they, they still had a degree of whimsy and agency, like the three daughters and the mother, they, they get, they pull one over on, on Kugel, even after they've sort of been semi kidnapped by him on the ship. Like he's like, he's like, Oh, there's no way they could, you know, there's something going on, but it all hinges on me being stupid. That that's couldn't possibly be true, right? <laughs> and then, like, you yeah. know, they have the ship sailing in a circle. <laughs> um, I like the uh, women who are in the uh, on the island of, um, uh, you know, where they they put out the sign for the fish, and the people come in and like, <laughs> right, and, the, and they you know have a congress with the the men if they decide to have dinner with them, and the one merchant gets yanked into the uh, the house. It's almost like a like a again, a Looney Tunes moment. He's just like, he was yanked into the house by some means unknown. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very much enjoyed this. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think building on what Dan was saying too, is one of the things that's really unfortunate about Fritz Leiber. Have you, ha- um, have you read any of the Fafford and Grey Master stories? I have. Yeah. I've read a couple of those. Okay. They're fantastic until we get to the late seventies, early eighties, and then they get really gross and super misogynistic. Mm. Um, in very uncomfortable ways that are really hard to read from a contemporary perspective, if you have any interest in you know, <laughs> women. Um, and I, by interest in, I don't mean sexual. I mean, right. in like th- their ability to beings. be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think the um, a really compelling difference here, though, is that, I mean, Kugel is, he's, he's the villain that we're kind of rooting for, but we recognize that like all, 95% of the things he's doing are, are immoral and wrong. Like that's kind of baked into it where like it, it where when you're reading the like characters like Fafford and Grey Mouse are doing this stuff, like it really feels like it's glorifying it mm. and that this is like becoming kind of the, the, the male fantasy. And I don't feel like we're supposed to be fantasizing about doing the things that Kugel's doing. Yeah. Right. right. Hoy, you said uh, it felt like a Looney Tunes moment. Um, yeah. And went, but I, w- I was feeling that too. I felt like the like the women in this book weren't really women so much as a kind of like girl-shaped gags. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of like, <laughs> yeah. it felt like an old cartoon from like the 40s or something where right. like Betty Grable pinup is like leaning out the window and like the horny yeah. cartoon wolf like right, races upstairs and the right. shutters <laughs> close and you hear like, Right. There's like this, yeah. the sounds of cartoon, you know, love making is, yeah. <laughs> is into that. It was that kind of thing. It's like, all right, there, it's there to set up kind of a gag, but it's not like a real person, you know, it's all just right. yeah. uh, 
the 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 humor and the joy of the sexual foibles happening up there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, a couple of the women, uh, specifically, uh, whatever the wasp woman is not a woman, right? She's a wasp. Well, she's a wasp banjo. She's sure. a woman. <laughs> right? right. And then the three mimes, he is at, at pains to say that, like, we're not really sure if they're human or not, or if they're women <laughs> or not, because they're described as being sort of epicene, which means sexually ambiguous, right? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah. so that's, that's kind of a funny moment where he's playing with that as well. Um, and then yeah, for me, like, I, I had read this one before. Um, when the Appendix N book club first started, it wasn't a podcast. It was an in-person book club that happened when I was living in New York and running the Dungeon Crawl Classics um, NYC meetup group. And one of the first books we covered was the Tales of the Dying Earth Compendium, which is the co- combination of all of the four Dying Earth books. And so I read all of those in 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 in, in quick succession. And it's been really nice as a part of this podcast to be able to return to each of these individually um, and and really kind of read them and explore their, their individual merits. And I think Kugel Saga is just so fun and so funny and just richly imaginative. And I love uh, how Vance is so good at just creating really distinctive peoples and situations. His world building is really world-class. Um, and I, I always have a blast returning to these stories. I love the, like just the detail in these little mini cultures. They feel very lived in. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love when we, we get on this ship, when we learn about the kind of <laughs> labor hierarchy of the wormingers or the wormingers. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. where, where did I, how did I get here? What is this? <laughs> it's just, uh, it's so funny how much thought is, is just taken for granted in these weird situations like that, where yeah, yeah. These, these microcultures that are just, they're just there. I don't right. know. I think he has a brilliance for transforming. He's like got a very sardonic view of the world, mm-hmm. but in this case, it's not, um, uh, it's not deeply um, negative. In, in some of his earlier books, I feel it's a little bit more negative. Um, but uh, you were talking about the Wormingers. I think it's, he's really transforming this real dynamic of apprenticeship and, and you know, new labor. And he was a merchant seaman in his youth. So I think he's taking what he remembers of that dynamic, but making it a very specific, weird fantasy thing. Right. And so that, that it's successful in that regard. And I love how the Wormingers, Chief Wormingers is so philo- philosophical. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's all he did. Like he refuses to do any real labor. He's just kind of there to inspire the actual yeah. laboring wormingers. <laughs> was it Drofo? Is his name? I yeah, think. Drofo. Yeah, yeah he just kind of like gives inspirational speeches, and he's like, "Oh no, I could never. No, we'll right. have to hire someone else. Like I'm not, right. I'm not touching the worms." Right, right. And, and the captain's like, "Oh, Kujo seems to be a pretty good worminger," and like Drofo, it's like, "No, it's just going because he's really lazy, so he doesn't want to get like behind in his work. So <laughs> right. then he works out harder." I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I also think a great example of that is the town with the columns. Mm-hmm. And for the people who are listening who might not have read this, like basically the gist of what's happening there is that there are this this town is built on a site of all these old ruins 
And there's this there's this dude who's like going up the old ruins and bringing down these sections of columns and stacking them up using his like magic boots to like kind of get them levitating up. But they're status um, symbols and all of the husbands of town spend all their days like they climb up the ladders and they sit on top of their family's column. And whoever has the highest column is the family with the most prestige. So now the wives are the ones who are actually actively campaigning for for their husbands to get more and more of these column sections so that their family can be the one that's the, the, the most, the most highly regarded in town. <laughs> and it's just such a fun fantasy way of exploring the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing. Yep, but also definitely. I just love that this one town is so incredibly obsessed with this thing that just to them feels like it is objectively the most important thing in the world. But to <laughs> any outsider's perspective, you can just also objectively see that it's not. and that absurdity is so beautiful yeah and i think it's interesting too in that scene you know again like i I came in with very different perception of what this is going to be like but i feel like in the hands of a different fantasy writer i love how jack vance kind of skirts around the the adventure taking place there like the the marble merchant has to go into these ancient ruins and it's kind of hinted at that there's things down there. Like it's, that's like, that's the D and D adventure, but he's like, no, 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 That Like that's, that's off screen. Like I got the marbles. <laughs> they're up. The action here is dealing with these, uh, these, these wives right there though. This is the, this is the good stuff. We want to show more of talking with the wives about getting these marbles stacked up. Right. And I love the ludicrousness of the specific ludicrousness of the society. So the men here are complete are in fact, the trophies, right? All they do yeah. is go up there and lounge and tan. And they're like, <laughs> Oh, I have to get exposed to the sun's rays or else I'll get really weak. Meanwhile, the wives are actually like the butcher, like the tailor <laughs> yeah. and all this. Other stuff. And they're not like thinking like, this is ridiculous. I'm doing spending my whole day, like putting all my money into buying these columns. So the guy can just sit up there and tan. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's just such a weird inversion. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, Brad, is there a particular moment in the story that really stuck out for you that was either a favorite moment or maybe one that stuck out to you for a different reason? I mean, there's plenty of them. Just uh, the first scene in, I'm reminding myself what the, the mansion is called, you know, Master Twango's. Um, <laughs> his his manse. Yeah, his manse. Um, Shangle Snow, Shinglestone Strands of the Beach, Saskervoy, is that? Flutic. Flutic is the, Flutic, yeah. yeah, like the weird <laughs> of like company store that Google walks into <laughs> where like this grand um, like banquet is prepared every night for the employees, but they get charged based on what they eat. So <laughs> like we're still baking all of this incredible spread of food, but all the laborers are coming in and eating like boiled kale for dinner. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's funny is like their expenses are the same whether the people are eating it or not, which also just like really highlights just how um, um, nickel and dimey they're getting with this. Totally. Yeah. And I don't know that was just such a funny whole scenario. Like the two weird little gremlins that Kugel kept fighting with uh, Gark and Gookin. <laughs> He's like, uh, and then at the end where it all kind of falfalls apart and you know the the boss he's in the swamp now like diving for the scales. I don't know that it, it, again just um, just me reading that and just being like, what am I reading? like what is this? this is so, I, 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 there was such a, such a rich tableau there such a like uh, um, that, that that really stuck with me. but yeah also like the demon that Kugel outsmarts. Was it like Fan Pound or Fan Poon or something like that? Mm-hmm. 
that was just like a really fun kind of self-contained little story where, I don't know, his, his plot isn't even that clever even. He's just kind of like, hey, demon, let's gamble. Oh, I'm out of money. We have to leave this demon pit so I can get more money. And then the, the demon was out. It's like, <laughs> that was the plot? That wasn't that clever of a plot, man. But I don't know. It just was such a fun story. I just really love that. Yeah. I don't know if this is a piece of information you're aware of, but um, Jack Vance mm-hmm. is absolutely 100% Gary Gygax's favorite author, and he was never shy about saying that. Yeah. Does d- does that information surprise you? It doesn't. I mean, I, you know, I think we I mean, especially considering that this wasn't, this didn't look like you thought it was going to look. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, D&D is such a weird, <laughs> weird game. I think we take a lot of the weirdness for granted that is kind of baked in there. But I definitely see that in like some of the creatures and... You know, it's its own thing. You you pick up D- Dungeons and Dragons. If you've never played it before, you think you're walking into some uh, like medieval fantasy, right? A lot of like, oh, thou, thy quest and that <laughs> that kind of thing. And it's not. It's this weird mishmash of who knows what, like weird creatures and weird plots. So I can totally yeah. see that that Jack Vance was incredibly influential on Gygax here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the weirdness permeates for sure. And the dying earth is perfect because they can have callbacks to it's theoretically the end of time, right? So you can have callback to anything before that and yeah. it can be depicted in any way. And that, that was pretty common with the, like in gamma world. I mean, obviously that's more of a um, uh, high roast journey influence, but, or any of the sort of mixed sci-fi ones like barrier peaks where you would have these objects that are nominally technology, but the way you describe them to the player, they have to puzzle out what this is and, Oh, it's some magic thing or whatever. And it turns out maybe it's just a garden hose and a faucet or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we see less of that in, in this particular story, but in the, in the first dying earth collection, um, we see a lot of super science. So Mm -hmm. super science that is now kind of, um, um, easily confused with magic is a really important part of this setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the attitude that a lot of the characters you meet have, you know, a lot of characters kind of convey the sentiment. It's like, Oh, well the sun might explode tomorrow anyway. So that's why it's okay to be <laughs> like rascals uh, or, or take weird chances on stuff. I think that's very, um, yeah, that's that lends itself to adventure <laughs> and misadventure yeah. like D and D attitude for sure it's like well you know it's just gotta go for it who cares We're, this isn't real and that's not an attitude i think that is i mean obviously it varies by table to table but it's not yeah. baked into say the current edition of D D uh fifth yeah. edition which is more overtly heroic right it's really first edition it sort of kind of ends with like first edition ad and d because even after that like the mm-hmm. back me becomes more heroic uh and onwards so absolutely um, that yeah like dragon sort of lance heroic tra- fantasy kind of t- takes over yeah, not only is Kugel an anti-hero, but this world is inherently anti-heroic yeah. because there's no saving the world. The world is right. doomed. The sun is dying and you can't reverse that. Yes. It might die while while during our lifespan and it might not. We don't know, but this is the end. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that I mean that really informs Kugel's adventures. He's not there to help anyone. And he doesn't even really, I mean, he doesn't really want adventure or anything. He just wants to like eat nice food at the inn. Like, <laughs> and it's just, he gets into his, his misadventures trying to like swindle enough terses to do that, really. 
I mean, how many of these stories sets up where he walks into town and he has no money? So what is he going to do? And it's like one grift to the next. <laughs> the one thing I would add to that is I think when, yes, he wants to eat nice yeah. food at the end, but I don't think that's all yeah. he wants. I also think he wants everybody to treat him as though he's oh, their superior. Absolutely. That's very true. Yeah. I also think he wants that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he bears a grudge like nobody else, which is, I mean, people are very, very grudging in this whole uh, universe and very transactional, which is kind of funny. That, 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 and that's a theme that carries through uh, a lot of Vance's work, how everything is very transactional. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if it's his like essential essence of how he views the world or if he thinks it's just a, a way to make fiction very interesting, you know? <laughs> so. And I think in a way, Jack Vance is really kind of exploring in an interesting way um, kind of what gives us, what gives our lives meaning and purpose and how we find that. And, you know, we've got Kugel who's like surviving at the end of time and he's really living each day like it's his last. But then we also have a lot of people who aren't. A lot of people who are really um, have like found a thing that they're fixated on, whether it is status or whether it is the the duties of their job. It makes me think about like when I was 19 years old and I worked in a record store and I became a supervisor. And like I was really fun to work with until I became a supervisor. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly I took the job super seriously and I was I was a dick. <laughs> And I fully recognize that now, but like, but it's one of those things that like, it's a, I think it's a really common thing that happens. It's like, we want to feel like the things that we're doing have meaning and purpose. So sometimes we take those things too seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think Vance does a really interesting job of exploring that while also lampooning it while also making it really fun fantasy mm -hmm. world building. Yeah, totally. Like all the, all the, um, the bosses <laughs> are like pretty universally, <laughs> despicable right drofo twango i don't know it's like the laborers i mean that's who kugel's connecting to too it's like the the moments of kindness he finds are always like the guy who lives in the hut and he makes his family leave so he can drink with you know it's like these weird little like muddy scenes that's where that's where uh he finds the the kindness that he mm -hmm. he needs and depends on for most of the book right. So, you know, you mentioned that, and it makes sense to me, Jeff, uh, we talked to Michael Shea, uh, who is uh, another fantasy author, actually wrote the first sequel to the first Google book, and but it was eventually considered non-canon um, in 1974, right? So that would have been like nine years before this one came out, Jeff, or something like that, roughly? Yeah, it would have been about in between yeah. when right. Eyes of the Overworld came right. out and this came out, because there's a 17-year right. gap between But it totally books. makes sense to me now why Michael Shea would be into this book, um, uh, both for the humor and everything that we've already talked about. But since you mentioned it, this working class, and because Michael Shea had this very working class uh, attitude and his characters, and he was always very interested in like the key economic activity of every particular weird little village or region. And here, uh, he would get into it more the mechanics of it than, than Vance would. But Vance, uh, as you said, Jeff, every village has its thing, its thing that it does, right? And, and you know, whether it's the columns, whether it's this port where they ship stuff on. Or or they, they're they worshiping some demon and trying to keep that demon quelled. Like that'd be a, in a different sure. story. But like we, there's always the thing yeah. that the town is focused right, right. on, and, that they find meaning and right. purpose. And so through. it totally makes sense to how, why Shay would connect with that and why Vance would be willing to let Shay carry on his work. You know, un, you know, even though he later said, you know, okay, that's not the real thing, but he never like, disavowed and said you can't, you know, print that anymore or anything like that. So, um, so I, I appreciate, I like that that there's a sense of that Vance was still connected to sort of the the nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, even this completely fantastical society that there was something there. It's not that sort of very Renfair where it's like all nobles and we don't know how the rest of the society works. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
So taking this into a gaming side of the conversation, I know Pelgrane Press has a Dying Earth RPG and Dungeon Crawl Classics just released their Dying Earth box set. Um, Brad, are you a Kickstarter for that Dying Earth box no, set? No, I'm very interested in seeing it now, though. I've been being um, so there's so much just mystery into this world. Like I love just offhand where they just keep mentioning creatures and they why, we don't get them described at all. Like yeah. the Pelgrane, like I get the sense that's like a bird monster, but I don't really get like a description anywhere about what that actually is. Um, again, that was one. He does that in all of yeah. them. Yeah. In all of those books, he does exactly <laughs> that. He'll say the name of it and like you'll get a sense as to what maybe it <laughs> yeah. is. But yeah, I think in the beginning, there's a creature chasing um, Kugel towards um, Flutic. And that's one of the only times where I think it's the the butler there, Weemish. He's like, oh, that's like a, a Hyperborean sloth. But that's like one of the only times where we get a kind of a description. What what is this thing? A lot of times it's like these beasts of burden. Like every, it seems like every town has their own horse, but I don't if, I, I don't know if they're like horses or like horse shaped creatures or what are these things. Anyway, well, yeah, uh, yeah. And we have Diodans and Grus. <laughs> totally, it's so much mystery as to what this world actually is, and I think that's one of the joys of reading it. But you know, I'd love to see that editorialized a little bit like draw me a picture of the hyperborean sloth like show me a pelgrane like sure why not i want to see some um a writer and artist interpretation of that very interested in that now for sure i would love that too but i think there's a logic to why um vance is doing this it's almost like it's because kugel is essentially incurious it's like oh horse i don't need to tell myself what a horse (laughs) looks like right (laughs) Right. (laughs) or whatever this creature is right it's it's, his mind it's like oh this thing it's a thing that's in my world why do i have to talk like you know it is not not important to to kugel at all he's not a scientist he's not like understanding things he's like oh yeah that's like a horse fine i'm gonna write right right well but my my pushback against that would be something that brad wouldn't have access to but because you haven't read the first (laughs) book but in the first book we have a lot of we have a lot of sagacious Mm. characters who are like wizards and are very all-knowing and the the, the same approach is taken with them. So I, I also think what Jack Vance is doing too is just telling you that like these things, that this is just the reality of the mm-hmm. world they live in. This isn't like, this isn't like the most like strange thing they've ever, in- this isn't some Lovecraftian horror that you're going to lose your sanity looking at. This is a thing that we've lived our whole lives knowing that if you're out in the woods at night, you're going to run into these things. So maybe don't be out sure. in the woods at right. night. Well, I don't even think it's a pushback. I think it's just a complimentary thing. It's it's just like for Kugel, he's specifically, he's incurious, but as you're saying, these are facts of life in the dying earth, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually you bring up another interesting point because we're talking about the, Circling back, the words, the the completely fictional words, and then the really weird hijacking, but real words. I love how he just puts them in together, never bothers to explain them, because again, this is just how people think. They think in these very baroque ways in the dying earth. So there's there's no need to distinguish between a fictional like tree or vegetable or whatever, and yeah. some kind of arcane word like rummagem. Yeah, that made me <laughs> yeah. glad I was using the ebook version because I could kind of like just tap on the word and see if anything popped up in the dictionary. I'm like, nope, okay, don't need to know this one. It's <laughs> keep <Yep>. going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but on totally. the flip side of, you know, RPGifying the dying earth, I mean, one of the charms is that I don't, uh, you know, there's so much mystery in all these creatures. You know, when the Pelgrane flies up to Kugel and he's flying around on the bed, it's like, this is kind of freaky, right? And I feel like if you're statting this thing out, that's, you know, it loses some magic. And I don't know, that's like one part of D&D that I don't love, especially as like editions have gone on where 
you know, now you have trolls. It's like, oh, yes, we know trolls. You get fire. This is how you kill a troll. We know what a troll is. There's no mystery, no yeah. magic to a troll. A troll is now a entry in a book. And frankly, you should you should know this if you're playing the game. Like, this is this is the game now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, while yeah. I do like to see... You're right. You know, ultimately, I love to see artists interpreting art. You know, I love to see what, is, what does this look like to this artist? What does this look like to this writer? I don't love that if that becomes codified and now it's when taking that and rereading Jack Vance, it's like, Oh, it's why is he afraid of the Pelgrane? It's only a three HD creature. He could, you know, he could take it. No problem. I don't know, but that's, that's what you get with RPGs. What's the solution to that? I don't, there's no solution. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Oh, I so disagree. What's I think the there's so many solutions. All right, tell me, tell me. Well, I mean, I think part of the solution is, um, I mean, first off, like not like trying not to fall into the traps of 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 having a goblin always being right. a goblin. So, I mean, I think if you if you want to get away from this kind of sure. gaming, I mean, first off, I think about how in medieval times the word goblin meant yeah. so many things. It could it could be to, so. Also, maybe in one area they're talking about the goblins that are out in the woods that are that are harassing their village, and maybe your players are like, "Oh, goblins, that's nothing." And then they go out there, and you're using the monster stats yeah. for trolls, but the local villagers are calling them goblins. Or physically describe these things as different, but just use the same monsters. Everything's monster bears, blocks. right? So <laughs> totally, yeah, bears and orcs. Exactly. So now you need right, yeah. <laughs> Totally. You've got this like elephant headed bear right. monster, but it's it's still just the troll stat I, block. I totally agree that that's how you do it if you're a, a DM and you want to keep that sense of mystery. But mm-hmm. if you're writing an RPG and you're like adapting the dying earth, like I don't you're kind of like solving that problem, unfortunately, you know. Right. I, yeah. I, I think what you can what you can do then in terms of when you're creating yeah. the game as a game designer, I think what you can then do is use lots mm-hmm. of tables when it comes to your char- your 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 monster entry. Randomize. So what does the yeah what does the Diadan mm-hmm. look like? Well, roll a d4 to see how big it is. Roll a d6 to see what kind of a, what kind of limbs it attacks sure. with. Roll a d8 to see what kind of hit die it has. All of these different things can be used so that you end up so that a Diadan is never exactly the same thing in in, in the yeah. same place. I, I think the same um, cataloging natural history problem. I mean, it's present from the first Monster Manual, right? Not in OD and D, but from the beginning of the monster manual yeah. onward. And that was like Gary Gygax's sort of, uh, so-called Gygaxian naturalism. Um, and then it became a big problem for something like Call of Cthulhu, right? Where these things are supposedly unknowable, but now they're completely statted, right? Right. Um, yeah. The one I th- or deities and yeah. demigods, where it's like, how many <laughs> hit points right. does does, yeah. does right, Athena right. have? Let's Okay, now we can kill right, right. Athena. Four could definitely kill Athena, But now I have a 20th level this. ranger. I could get in there with Thor, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. 30th level ranger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the one thing that was sort of an attempt to address that within the sort of mythos thing was Ken Height. I was a huge Call of Cthulhu fan, but sure. for the uh, Trail of Cthulhu version, which is a, um, a gumshoe version, he said, oh, these are three things we, you know, every canonical uh, mythos creature, like the uh, fungi from Yagoth, he said, oh, here's three, three, three things that are known about the fungi from Yagoth. Any one of these things can be true or not true, right? And so you could do the same thing for your troll. Uh, these are things we know about common knowledge about trolls. They blah, 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 blah. But any of these things could be true or not true, right? Hmm. But at least we can sort of agree that a troll has some of these things. Yeah. It's a humanoid. It's blah, blah, blah. It's big. Right. Uh, orc is uh, feral, monstrous, but is it a pigman? Is it, you know, a tusky green thing? 
well, these are things that people say are are, th- are true of troll uh, orcs, but then when it only happens when you finally meet that orc, oh, it's a pigment, right? Right. <laughs> it's a, totally. Know, yeah. yeah. I also thought of another way that you could approach this from a game design perspective. If you don't want to randomize the traits of the monster, maybe you can have specific monsters, but for each specific monster, you have a table of um, what is this monster called mm. locally? <sighs> And some of these monster stat blocks will have mm. some of the same names on these yeah. different yeah. tables. Yeah. So, so yeah, this stat block might goblin might be one of the D eight names that is totally. used locally, and goblin might be listed yeah. on another yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, magic has the same problem. You know, um, magic is yeah in you know in a book like this, it's very mysterious. It's very ethereal. Like yeah, Google, you know, the wizards offer to teach Google, hey, you want to learn this spell where your legs don't get tired when you walk? And he's like, ah, oh, sure, yeah, that sounds good. Um, you know, but when you codify that, codify that in a, in a rule book, you know, magic just becomes a gun you can shoot. It's like, oh, here's my fireball spell. Here's my yeah. whatever spell. And, you know, certainly there are RPGs which address that, like games like uh, White Hack or something like that, where right. magic is like a conversation. And it's like, okay, I want to use magic to do mm-hmm. this. And you have to kind of bargain with the, the adjudicator, like, oh, what's the cost for doing that? But yeah, which yeah, I, which I totally. love, by the way. Um, but yeah, like a lot of like the 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 popular games go they they codify everything and I and that's the popular way to do it. But unfortunately, that's I think the least you you kill your mystery that way, and that's right. you lose something yeah. in adapting a work to to right. do that. It's it's a trade off of yeah. um I think uh, where we're talking about popular games are sort of more low trust situations, so yeah. they have to be sort of codified, especially if you're playing at conventions and all that. Where something like a white hack or right. a fate or something like it's a very high trust situation, right? You Definitely. have to trust that this conversation is going to go and there'll be fairness and people will accept the results, even if it's not the ideal result for your character, right? Um, you know, yeah, yeah. And with with that big high trust situation, I also think comes up a lot of insecurity. Yeah. If I'm a new game yeah. master it might be very intimidating the idea of having to adjudicate these things fairly. And like, what if I make the wrong call? And what if I say that this magic thing is only a DC totally. 15, but then some, but then a few sessions later, I say this other thing's DC 20, but maybe that thing that I said DC 20 actually should have been easier than the one before. And now suddenly I'm feeling really insecure mm-hmm. about that. So if I can use a system where it very specifically tells me how to handle every conceivable situation, yeah then I can maybe breathe in that moment and say, oh, phew, okay, I don't need to worry about that because I can look on page 271 and that'll tell me how to handle this situation. I I think it makes sense why a lot of new players are really Mm -hmm. drawn to overly crunchy systems because it helps helps mitigate some of that anxiety. Yeah, and I think it's it's frankly easier to sell (laughs) a game that you can show is fun no matter like your skill level okay like D fourth edition is often maligned um I, I i was a big fan of it in spite of it but that's regardless dnd 4e very much if you play it as written it's hard to not be fun in its own specific way it is like everything is so etched out you're playing fantasy miniature combat tactics okay you're playing like and yeah. one person running it versus another person running it your, your your experiences are going to be very 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 similar it doesn't leave you a lot of room to it to adapt to improvise it's so set in stone um you know if you're a corporation and you're trying to show people the game is fun like how much easier is it to be like look game fun open box play a game game fun and you know 
if whereas you, you take like original edition D&D, the way one person plays it versus another version might as well be different games. Like, how mm-hmm. do you sell that? Or if you have someone just testing it out, you know, how can you ensure that that's a sound purchase if you can't make it a, a, a similar experience? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And Brad, you're working with a lot Absolutely. with Kieran, which is going toward the other end of that spectrum yeah. now. Um, is that just purely out of burnout of the previous things? Or do you feel like, okay, well, this is my experiment and this is the other end and somewhere in between is really where, you know, most things should live, but not necessarily for me at this moment, you know? I love all the kind of different RPGs. Um, I mean, I, I was just running Pathfinder 2, very crunchy game. Now I'm running Old School Essentials. Mm-hmm. I love Cairn. I love, you know, I I like finding the spirit of a game and finding the fun there. And I think, like, mm-hmm. rules can really evoke different kinds of fun. What I like about games like Cairn and Old School Essentials and why I kind of write for them is it, le- it it lets you get out of the way and present interesting stories and situations without without getting too deep into the nitty-gritty. You know, if I want a situation where, you know, um, I don't know, a witch wants to open a portal and send someone to hell, I don't need to stat out, okay, now this must be a six-level Pathfinder spell, so that means the witch must be eight-level, <laughs> so how do I balance this? Like, oh, she'll need two snakes as allies to, you know. <laughs> like, you don't have to make it a... Uh, a balanced game. You're just like the witch sends you to hell. That's the encounter, you know? So yeah, yeah. that, that speaks to me much more as a designer. I can just like come up with the fun (laughs) and let the fun be fun on its own. And I don't have to worry about balancing it as a game. Um, So that, that's where I'm at as a designer. And right now that's kind of where I'm at as a a person who runs RPGs too. But that's not to say that <laughs> it's not fun to bust out D&D 4th edition and play like Final Fantasy Tactics, the role-playing game. Like I love setting up those cannonball specials with the little, you know, dungeon rolls and like a fighter does this so the rogue can get back to That's totally fun on its own, man. And I'm not it's mm-hmm. it's hard for me to quantify like which is better. It's like a different it's a different meal on a different day of the week. Um, mm. And so, also, presumably, with the yeah. dynamics of the other people you're playing with, because some people are not just not going to be able to on board with like free free form gaming, but you totally still want to play with them. Totally yeah. true. Yeah, some some players. Um, yeah, you got to find the sweet spot with the the friends that you're hanging with, and yeah, that can mean different games. So it's fun to find find that that hole in one. Perfect. So that is um, our time with uh, Kugel Saga today. But Brad, do you have any final thoughts about it? Oh, I don't know. Just, um, God, I just love, I, I, I don't feel like I got to talk about how weird and fun the dialogue is. Like the dialogue is just so, like who talks like this? Like the only thing I could think of was is kind of, it sounds like serious people in Marx Brothers movies kind of talk like this, like a weird, <laughs> like mid-Atlantic like everything is so formal. Like no right, one right. just says like, "How do you do?" It's like, "Oh, may, may I trespass upon you to ask about your whatever?" Um, <laughs> like, I, that was just like the sweetest ambrosia to me, and I would just love to see Jack Van. <laughs> yeah. like, he could write anything, like write a Regency, you know, write me a Pride and Prejudice. Like I just want to live in this weird dialogue. Like no one does this like this. I I love that. I'm looking forward to exploring more Jack Vance. Um, and yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to dive in, you guys. I'm somewhere the yokai celebrates, breaks out the champagne. Right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yes, yeah. yes. So Brad, um, wh- are you working on anything right now that you would like our listeners to be aware? Yeah, of? Yeah, I've got a couple projects, but they're still kind of primordial. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to kind of announce anything. Um, I'm working on a, a, a big old module, <laughs> um, a really chunky dungeon. Cool. Um, 
it started, I'm working with a very fun collaborator also that um, people probably have in their library if they're OSR people. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully when this comes out, maybe we'll have more done to announce it, but we're still very much like writing and designing right now. Um, hope that comes out in 2023. At, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm my own boss, so uh, it comes out when I say it does. You know, that's just the there way it go. goes. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it's called Chunky right. Dungeon. I don't have a name yet, so I'll put that yeah. on the on the list. Well, um, when the Chunky Dungeon is ripe, we'll look for ch- it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the chunks when they're ready to harvest, Chunky Dungeon yeah. will live. Uh, other than that, yeah, just um, just doing between two cairns and uh, putting a lot of energy into into that, reviewing modules and having a good time. And Brad, where can folks find yeah, you? Yeah, so I am on Twitter at Brad Kerr, B R E D K R R R. I'm also, you can find me, I publish under a fake publishing name called Sword Lords Publishing. I'm on Drive Through. Um, you can find me on Itch. Um, yeah, just search for my name. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not too far down in uh, search there in Itch or anything, but um, yeah, I'm out there. <laughs> Very cool. And Hoy, where can folks right. find us? Yes, if you want to drop us a note, you can always do that at appendixnbookclub at gmail.com. Uh, as long as the Twitter ship is still uh, floating above the waterline, <laughs> yeah, you never uh, know then too you can much. find us at, yep, <laughs> at appendix underscore N. Uh, if you like us, please rate us and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It does help people find us. And Jeff, how about our Patreon? Today, we were joined in our patron book club by Joseph Hoopman, Robert Coleman, Tom Lucas, Dan Alexander, Rick Byrne, and Adam Styers. Thank you for joining us today. We also have some new Patreon, um, some new patrons that I would like to shout out. Um, thank you to Banjo Bear, Eva, Terrence LeBeau, Josh Legiman, uh, Legiman, uh, Adrian Carpio, and Adam Carter. I'm sorry, and Andy Carter. Thank you all for joining our Patreon. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you at one of our patron book clubs soon. Uh, we also want to reach into the hat and give a shout out to a few of our random patrons as well. Thank you to Hyperlexic, Richard Reed, Damo Saklas, Matt Richards, Richard Ruane, Gentle Reader, Eric Johnson, and Robert Poyton. We really appreciate your support. And if you'd like to support us, you can for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, We would really appreciate it if you did. And if you do join our Patreon, you can vote on which books we are covering. You can join us for conversations. Uh, We also are now doing a patron movie club which we're now doing between our book clubs. And that's just for our patrons. And um, it's official for our, for our second one, we're going to be doing the seventh voyage of Sinbad. And for our third one, we're going to be doing the Hills have eyes and hoy. We're about to put the um, poll up for the fourth one, which unfortunately by the time this episode drops, you won't actually be able to vote on because we're, we're trying to get these things caught up. So at this point, this is just informational for you, gentle <laughs> yeah. listener. But uh, what are the four movies that um, if they were already a Patreon in the past, they could have go. voted on? Uh, if your time travel works properly, the theme is Slings and Arrows of Outrageous Fortune. Some movies that have some kind of archery going on in them. So uh, the first one would be obvious, which is The Adventures of Robin Hood, the Earl Flynn one from 1938. Uh, then we'll have uh, Lucio Fulci's Conquest. Uh, the Hunger Games, and then this Korean film called War of the Arrows, which is also phenomenal. So those are your choices for the next uh, Appendix N Movie Club. Very cool. So we are done for today. Brad, you have been an awesome guest. Thank, Thank you. you. This was a lot of fun. There you go. It's an honor and a pleasure, Brad. So we'll see you in the stacks. Read on. <laughs> the library is closed.